you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn over to 2 Timothy, is where we're going to be going today, 2 Timothy, chapter 3, and we're going to read the entire chapter this morning. We've been in a series concerning the life cycle of Harvest Time Bible Church. Um, in, in week one, we discussed the reality that God has called each one of us to participate in the process of sanctification. Now, what that means is that God's desire is for you to sin less and to be more godly in your life. Not as a way of gaining God's approval, but, a be, but as a way of having um, a growth happen in your life where you become more and more like Jesus. You, you, you don't come to Jesus um, based on your own effort and your own works. And you don't live your life following Jesus based on your own effort and your own works. But God loves us too much to leave us where we were when we come to Christ. He wants to see growth in our life. He wants to see us become more and more like Christ. And so he, he, he engages in us three different things that happen. Immediately, we are justified in our relationship with Jesus. That means when you give your life to Christ, your sins are forgiven. All of your sins, past, present, and future, are wiped out from you. And God chooses to view you as holy from that moment forward. That is your positional relationship with God. That's the way it is from now on. But unfortunately, that doesn't mean that you stop sinning because you still have this ugly side of you called your flesh. And your flesh is constantly battling the spirit inside of you for mastery, for control of your decisions. And every single day, you're at war. You're at war with the flesh inside of you. You're at war with the desire to do wrong. And we, we cover the idea that which one of those sides is going to win inside of you is the side that you feed. The side that, that you spend time giving energy to and resources to. The side that decides to cooperate with the spirit is the side that's going to win. And your flesh is not going to cooperate with the spirit. Your flesh is going to do what it wants. Your spirit, on the other hand, has the potential to listen to the voice of God and through the power of the Holy Spirit to obey God. But that process, that battle, is not an easy thing. Many people, many good, godly people have fallen by the wayside because they didn't feed their spirit and their flesh took over. And they made huge, life-changing decisions that ended up ruining testimonies. Ruining families and other things, because not because they're not good people, not because they aren't people who, who are gifted, not because they aren't people that God wanted to use, but simply because we are all capable of doing terrible things when we are not listening to the voice of God. So how do we battle that? How, as followers of Jesus, do we battle that? And somewhere along the way, we bought into to a lie that we have to battle it alone. That somehow we have to fight this battle. Nobody else can know about it. I've got to hide it from the church. I've got to hide it from God. And unfortunately, the reason for that is because when people begin to reveal their struggles with other people, they open themselves up to judgment from other people. But I'm here to tell you today that part of the discipleship process, part of becoming sanctified in the Holy Spirit, is being able and willing to confess our sins to God and to repent from sin, but also to, to confess our struggles with each other. You see, if Satan can convince you 
that you are the only one who struggles with what you struggle with, that you will languish alone and you will not alone have the strength to overcome those things. For whatever reason, God has decided that the best way to fight your flesh is in community with other fellow believers in Jesus Christ. And that's what we talked about last week, the idea of gathering together, being part of that discipleship process, being sanctified. In order to do that, you must participate in the lives of other Christians. You might ask yourself, well, why? They're annoying. Yeah. We are. Human beings annoy other human beings. But usually... We annoy the flesh of other people, not their spirit. If we were fully surrendered to the spirit, we would be able to love people unconditionally and we wouldn't be annoyed. But it's our flesh that gets all up in arms about how other people act and react and how they treat us. And our responses in the flesh are the problem. Our responses in the flesh are the problem. And that's the reason why over and over in Scripture, Jesus constantly says, I want you to be one. I want you to be one. I want you to be one. And the reason for that is because the world isn't one. The world is divided and divided and divided more and more every day to the point where we have become so hyper-individualized that now in modern culture, every individual person thinks they can define what truth is. And that is not what the Bible teaches. We are not the gods of our own lives. We like to act like we are, but we are not God. And truth is not something that every individual gets to determine. Truth is something, well, Jesus says he is the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. So when we get together on on Sundays or other times of the week, we are here to do something great. We are here to worship the Lord together corporately. It's an encouragement to know that there are other Christians in the room. We don't all agree on everything. We all don't even like each other sometimes. But we love each other in Christ and we can be unified in the cause of Jesus. That unity is our testimony before men. If we are not unified, that we are reflecting the world just as the world behaves. The world subdivides and subdivides and subdivides based on personal opinion, based on personal desires, based on flesh patterns. We, as followers of Jesus, are not to do that. We are to take everything that is in here and be unified around the book and around Jesus Christ. Period. End of story. So in our process of getting together, we are to encourage one another, to be unified in Christ, to to speak truth to one another, to encourage one another. Scripture says that as the day approaches, we need to be encouraging each other, reminding each other of the truth of the word of God so that we will not lose heart in these last days. Have you lost heart? I know a lot of Christian people who have lost heart Because the world seems to be getting worse and worse. And believe me, I understand. But we are to remind each other of the truth of his word that Jesus is coming. That he's going to fix all of this. He's going to establish his kingdom on this earth. That things will have to progress in a way that is not going to be fun in order to get to the point where Jesus comes back. There are things we're going to have to go through. And when we look at these things in scripture, the, the Bible calls them birth pains. Talk to any mother. 
Talk to any mother who's gone through labor. Are birth pains fun? Nope. But then ask them if the pain is worth the gift. Is the pain worth the gift? You better say yes, Mom. (laughs) So we are called to be sanctified. Step number one in that process is to gather together. Thank you for gathering with us. Amen. Because it's an encouragement to be together. And it's encouragement to open the word together. Step two in our life cycle is not just gathering, but we need to grow. And if you look on the, on the, on the sheet there, first thing is Sunday worship is our gather. Learning life groups are growing. What you may not understand about our process is that we have two different types of life groups that are happening. Sometimes they're, they're joined together and sometimes they're not. We have learning life groups, which we're going to discuss today. And then we have community life groups. The learning life groups, their entire point is to have people come together and open the word of God together to learn more about the Bible, to learn more about who Jesus is, and to gain spiritual and scriptural knowledge about God and his kingdom. Okay? Do you agree that we need that? One of you thinks that's a good idea. Um, I I read a statistic today that says biblical literacy in the United States of America is at an all-time low. People do not know what the Bible says. In fact, for a lot of people, what they have done is they have mixed um, all kinds of of American folklore and American statements with the Bible. They think that, that, that things like God who helps those who help themselves is in the Bible. Guess what? It's not. Um, There are things, an apple a day keeps the doctor away, you know, all that kind of stuff. They think, oh, that's got to be in Psalms. No, it's not. And the scripture tells us that we need to be able to rightly divide the word of truth. When somebody stands up and says to you, it's in the Bible, you should know if it is or it isn't. Because the scripture tells us that in the last days there will be many false teachers who will take what the word of God says and they'll twist it. And they'll make something sound good because it's something we want to hear. The scripture also says that they will be able to tickle our ears with something we want to hear. And I'm afraid that we think, well, that's got to be for somebody else. Somebody else is having their ears tickled. Oh, oh no. No, no, no. This is a danger for everybody. When somebody comes out claiming to be a follower of Jesus and claiming to speak the truth of God, and then they begin to say things that are outside of the word of God or extra to the word of God. But we like it. Maybe we agree with them politically. Maybe we agree with them socially. Maybe we agree with them in some other way. In some way, our ears are being tickled by that teaching. Now, again, don't get me wrong. I love God's truth wherever it comes from. God's truth is God's truth. But every last one of us need to be able, have the knowledge of the word of God to be able to be like, you know what, what that person said, they may be somebody you like 95% of the time. It may be me. But you need to be able to hear the truth and be like, that wasn't right. I need to go listen. I need to go talk to that person. Or I need to be able to go back to the Bible and find out where I know it's wrong so that I can rightly divide the word of truth in my mind. But unless we spend time in the book, it won't happen. And I'm not talking about what other people say about the book. A lot of times when people are talking about Bible studies, they'll read all kinds of different authors. And and I'm thankful for Christian books. I am thankful for them. 
But there is no substitute for you opening up the word of God and allowing the Holy Spirit of God to minister to your mind through the Bible. Do not believe the lie that only pastors and trained people can read and understand the Bible. That is a lie straight from hell. It is your responsibility to get into this book. Now, you may tell me, well, I don't understand half of it. Come to me. I will help you find a version that is still a good version that is easier to understand. If that's where you need to go, come and talk to the staff. We will help you with that. But do not misplace the effort that is necessary for us to get into the word of God. Now, the reason we bring that up, harvest time throughout its history has really emphasized the Bible. I mean, it's in our name. You ever wondered why we're called Harvest Time Bible Church? From the very beginning, the foundation of the teaching at Harvest Time Bible Church has been from the Word of God. And that will never change. I'm telling you that right now. Our goal is to get people into the Word of God. Through the years, I can remember Sunday school teachers back when we used to call it Sunday school. Sunday school teachers like Tim Potts. I remember having teachers like, did you all know Frankie Delgado was my middle school Sunday school teacher? That's hard to believe, isn't it? He, he, he looks younger than me. <laughs> there have been good faith. I remember Leroy and Nina Holloway teaching a class and like over there for all, all those. If you know Leroy, I, I still get chuckles every time I think about him hanging around with small kids. All these people that gave up their time and energy to teach the word of God. Still happening today. Tanya and her workers over there teaching preschoolers the precepts of God's word. Daisha and her leaders teaching precepts to the, to, the, to, the, to the young children. Niall and his leaders teaching the word of God to our youth. The question for me is this for you guys. Are you into the word? Well, the scripture tells us you should be. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul is writing Timothy, a young pastor, and Timothy and, the, and his church are going through some tough times. In fact, um, there's questions being raised because Stuff is not going the way they think it should. Um, does this sound familiar? They, they were living in a culture that wasn't Christian. Some of them were being ostracized. Some of them were losing jobs. So, things were getting worse. They, there, there seemed to be more and more corruption around them. The world wasn't getting better, and people were getting nervous. And so they began asking questions about, like, how are we supposed to live in the midst of this godless world? I don't know about you, but I can identify with that. Well, then in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul is writing to his spiritual son, Timothy, and he gives him some instructions, starting in verse 1. But understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. <laughs> oh, I, it, it amazes me how many people are thinking, if I just live for the Lord, stuff will be easy. If I'm just faithful, then everything's going to be okay. I, I won't suffer. There's going to be nothing wrong. The world's going to get better. That Guys... Over and over in the Bible, that is never guaranteed, ever. And sometimes I believe when we are, when we are um, evangelizing, we, 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 we sell the wrong product. We tell people, just give your life to Jesus and everything's going to get easier. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that. But what it does say is you give your life to Jesus, no matter what you face, he will walk with you and be with you and strengthen you. And you know where you're going when you pass from this earth. There is hope in the relationship with Jesus, but there is not a guarantee of a lack of trouble. And he even says it, understand this, that in the last days there will, there will come times of difficulty. 
Verse 2, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. And he says, avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins, and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith, but they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. Now, here's the scary part for me. This absolutely describes the world around us, doesn't it? Disobedient parents, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy. Absolutely, it's happening. The scripture says that in the final days, people will do that which is right in their own eyes. They will try to be the God of their own life. But listen, church, my fear is that some of these same things have crept into the church. And we're going to read that list again, but I'm going to ask you to look internally. Not, not, not at, at the people outside the church. I want you to think about in your own life and pick out, I guarantee you, that there's at least one in this list that you struggle with. At least one. And think about how that affects the testimony of the church. Read it once again, thinking about the church. People will be lovers of self. Lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. That, that last phrase there has always intrigued me. What, what does it mean to have the appearance of godliness, but deny its power? In, in my understanding of scripture, that's talking about people that participate in church. Maybe know the language, wear the clothes, do the church stuff. But all of it is based on their own effort. All of it is based on their own strength. And because of that, they may look the part, but there are times when they don't act the part. And they, people may be absolutely convinced of their godliness, but they know on the inside that there is a struggle if there is a relationship with God at all. And the scripture says that in the last days, when we are faced with all these difficult times, those people are going to be revealed. So the question is, how do we as a church Looking internally, looking at ourselves, looking at that list of things that should not be true about Christian people, and yet at times are. How do we fight that inside of us? How do we participate in the process of discipleship where we are to say no to those things and say yes to the things of Christ? Well, number one, we talked about last week is gathering. But this week, 
Paul gives them very specific instructions about how to battle it. Starting in verse number 10 of 2 Timothy chapter 3. You, however, you have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and suffering that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, but as for you, Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. Stop there for one second. Notice Paul is saying to Timothy, listen, sometimes I, when Paul writes these things, I don't think I could ever say this kind of stuff out loud. But Paul says, I have attempted to live under the power of the Holy Spirit. And the fruits of the Holy Spirit, in spite of the persecution that I am facing, have been evident through my life. When he says, look, if you follow my teaching, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, he's actually listing off some of the fruits of the Spirit right there. He's saying, look, I have faced difficulty and circumstances. I have faced persecution. And look how I've responded to it. Have I responded in anger? Have I responded with hatred? Have I responded in a way that the world would have responded to these circumstances? And he's saying, the the spirit is evident in the way I've responded to these terrible circumstances. And then he says, live like me. Now, doesn't that sound kind of arrogant? Doesn't it? Just a little bit? Except for the fact that he's actually doing it. You know, the reality is is that God told him to write this for a reason. He gave him these words for a reason. It's because if we are living in a way that, that glorifies God and the fruit of the Spirit is coming out of us, don't we want people to live like us if we are living rightly? But the problem is, is I think most of us know that we're not. I know that I struggle with with certain things on that list. I know that there's weakness in me, and there are things in my life I don't want you to emulate. But guys, that should not be. We should be seeking all of these things that have been implanted in our heads. Most of us have sat under good Bible teaching for most of our lives. The question is, have we taken what we've learned in our head, and has it worked itself out through the Holy Spirit into our actions? I hear a lot of good sermons. Sometimes I think people are like, well, I've heard that sermon a hundred times. I don't want to hear it again. Well, are you doing it? Are you doing what's being preached? I don't know. That's not for me to say, but the question is that we, the reason we go back to the gospel over and over again and loving God and loving people is because it's a constant challenge that we do not actually do it. We need to be challenged from the teachings of God's word over and over again. We need to be reminded of the immensity of God's gift to us. And we need to be reminded that the the Holy Spirit needs to be making a change in our life. And will we let him? Verse 15. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Verse 16, the verse that everybody likes to quote, but I like to have it in context. For all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, 
for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let's pull that verse apart just for one second. Verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for our teaching. Stop right there. We should be engaged in being taught the word of God, but also in teaching the word of God. Somewhere along the line, we tend to believe that I don't have the gift of teaching, so therefore I have no responsibility to teach the word of God. Not true. Every last one of us. Now, you may not be somebody who feels called to stand in front of 50 people or even 10 people to teach the word of God. But there are people in your life who you need to be able to speak truth from the word of God to teaching the truth of God's word. The idea of teaching is not something that's just isolated to the pulpit. And it's not just isolated to Sunday school teachers. And some of you are, have, have told me before in conversation, well, I'm just, I just don't speak well in public. Okay. I understand that. Not everybody is designed to be up in front of people and speak. But everybody is called to be in relationship. And everybody's called to be in your family. I mean, you are called to be in your family. Are you teaching each other the word of truth in your family? Are, are you teaching your friends in your day-to-day -day living with people? Are you bringing up the word of God and having conversations about the word of God? Is the word of God transforming you enough? Is it important enough in your mind and in your heart that it actually is part of your day-to-day -day conversation? We talk about what's important to us. The question is what is important to us. So it's profitable for teaching. This is the part that I think we actually can wrap our brains around the most. We go, we sit under some teaching, we think we've accomplished this purpose, but then it goes on. And this next couple of parts we don't like at all. Teaching for reproof. Anybody like to be reproofed? You guys know what reproof means? That means coming to somebody and rebuking them face to face. You like, you like that? It's really quiet in here today. Um, nobody likes to be re re rebuked. Nobody. Um, and if you, some people really like rebuking people. <laughs> um, and if you are a person who really likes rebuking people, I'm just telling you now, you probably shouldn't be the one rebuking anybody. If you like the process of it. But I will say this, every follower of Jesus needs to be able to talk to somebody else about the teaching of his word and to offer correction to one another in love. Now, please hear me. Do not rebuke people based on your opinion. And do not rebuke people based on your preferences. But if you see a friend who is a follower of Jesus, not living a life glorifying to God, being carried away into some kind of sin, your responsibility, my responsibility is to go to them with the word of God and love and to reproof that behavior. Again, somewhere along the line, we tend to think that that's the job of pastors. And it is. And we have to do it on a fairly, on a fairly good, on fairly a frequent occasion. But it's not just the pastors that are called to do that. You, if you love somebody in the, in the Lord, the scripture says that the word of God is profitable for teaching, but also for reproof. It's also profitable for correction. Now, to me, what that's talking about is the idea of looking inwardly and seeing that in your life, there are things that you are not living according to God's standard in his word. 
So the idea here is, you know, sometimes we think, well, I'm, I need to go correct somebody else. Obviously, we just talked about that in rebuke. That there is a spot for that. But really, what we're talking about in the second part here is that there are times when we understand that my behavior, what I'm doing, my attitude, my heart, when I read the word of God, when I, when I, when I compare the biblical standard to where I'm living, I am lacking. So therefore, it calls us to repentance. What is repentance? The idea is that I'm turning from my opinion, my life, my sin, my choices, and aligning myself with what God says and his word. That's what repentance is. It's turning from my way and going God's way. We have to do it at the moment of salvation. We have to understand that I can no longer go down this path where I am king, where I am God of my own life, and I am in the middle of sinning. I, when I am the king of my life and I keep going down this way, I am ruining my life. I am walking further and further away from God. I am doing all these things, and it's a sin to the Lord. My choices are sin, and they offend Jesus. So what is repentance? The repentance is understanding that I can no longer go that direction and believe that I have anything good to happen in my life. And I need to turn from my way and turn to Jesus. Scripture says if I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, I will be saved. It's turning from believing that my goodness is good enough to get me to heaven and turning to the belief that Jesus is the only way to heaven. But how do people come to that knowledge? Paul in Romans says, how are they to know the truth unless someone goes to them and preaches to them? How can they go unless they are sent? And listen, church, we're not just talking about sending pastors and missionaries and all of those people. The scripture tells us that we are all sent. Pastor Jason talks about this all the time, the the Great Commission is not just written to paid staff. The Great Commission is not even the Great Suggestion. It's not something that you can choose to do or not. It is something that you are commanded to do. And the scripture tells us that as we learn about the word of God and, 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 and import his truth into our hearts, that we can then use what we have learned in the moments that we are faced with difficulty, when we are faced with an opportunity to teach, when we're faced with an opportunity to share the gospel, that the things that have been poured into us will not return void in our life. The Holy Spirit will draw those things out at the moment if we are simply listening to his voice, and if we have spent time pouring this stuff in to our mouth. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, may be mature, equipped for every good work. I'm going to go ahead and flip over real quick here. We have to close Romans chapter 15. There's an example of Christ even with this process of learning. Romans 15 verse 1 says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. You see, I firmly believe 
that the reason that so many Christians today are losing hope is because we, we watch more news about all the stuff that's going wrong than we do read the scripture about what God is doing, even through what we read on the news. You see, for whatever was written in those former days, the scripture was written for our instruction so we can learn it so we can so we can live by it so our life will reflect it that through endurance in other words as we continue to walk in faith as we continue to allow the teaching of God's word to penetrate our heart mind and soul and to affect how we live how we vote how we work when, when the truth of God's word penetrates our heart mind and soul it'll affect every decision in our life it will lead to endurance of living and walking for the cause of Christ every moment of every day. That through endurance, through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Now notice the word there. We might. This is one of those things that's conditional. Hope is not something that you automatically feel. There are moments in your life when you're going to feel Hopeless, But I do believe that, according to the word of God, that if we focus on the reality and the truth of God's word and understand what the Bible says about who we are, who he is, what he is doing, even as we look at the circumstances around us in this life, we can have hope if we focus on the reality of who God is and what he is doing through his scripture. But I'm telling you, my brothers and sisters, if you begin to focus more on the circumstances around you in your life, around you in this world, I'm not telling you to be un, uninformed. You should be completely informed. You should be completely involved, all of those things. But only through the lens of the word of God and through scripture, through with the Holy Spirit. When we begin to look at these world events that are going on around us through the teaching of God's word, it's readily evident that God is doing something. He's working. And because of that, if we hold on to what he says is going to happen, we can have hope. We can have hope. But I'm telling you right now, the minute that we lose track of the things that we have been taught from the word of God, when we no longer focus on the things that are spelled out in God's word, it's easy for us to lose hope. Verse 5. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you to the glory of God. The result of that endurance, the result of having that Bible penetrate your mind is that you will be able to be united with your fellow believers in Christ around that truth. And that's where the hope comes from. Again, it comes back to being together and reminding each other of the truth of God's word and finding hope together. So my question to you today is, 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 is a couple fold. Number one, are you gathering together with the purpose of honoring God and opening the word of God? Number two, are you teaching one another are you being taught and are you teaching the truth of god's word because it's only through the the right teaching of the word of god that we will be able to keep hope in the midst of these last days if you are feeling hopeless the first thing i would tell you to do is open up the book read the, what the bible says about what's going on and then 
do something funny. Get together with another Christian and talk about it. Go to a life group. Come to our learning life groups on Sunday morning. Get involved in a, life, in a living, learning, outreach, community life group during the week. Get involved somewhere so that we can remind each other of the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. We need to be reminded of that hope on a day-to-day basis. Are you hopeful today? Let's pray. Father, you are good. Thank you for the hope that you have given us in Jesus and through your word. And I pray today that as we go to our learning life groups, that we will understand that we can look at the, this world through the lens of your word. God, I'm thankful for the history of Harvest Time that people have chosen to open the word of God and to have it be the definer of who we are in our relationship with you. But Lord, I pray that we will be reminded that your, your word is profitable for, for teaching, for doctrine, for, for correction. But also, Lord, it is the main and only source of our hope in you through the power of your Holy Spirit. Have your way in us and help us to live our life for you, glorifying you. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and stand up with us and sing this final song as we give, surrender to the Lord.